invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. i read one brief little account out of, the, out of the life of Christ here in Matthew 22. He is uh, he's sort of being trailed and uh, being uh, peppered with questions and situations not really from those who are desiring to learn from Christ. We find him in these chapters surrounded by people that are trying to do him in. They're trying to catch him. They're trying to, they're trying to get him to say something that they can, uh, I guess in our days, they're trying to get him to say something that they could tweet out to the world, you know, and try to get him in trouble. Uh, they're, they're, they're trying to catch him in a phrase. They're trying to catch him in a word or, or some or, or some you know, opinion he might render, something he might teach. And so they're, they're sort of bombarding him with all of these situations. And so it's in that kind of a context that we read in verse 44 that, that, that one of the Pharisees, so that's one of the religious groups, they, they heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees. Okay, so let's put it in this terminology. They, they heard that Jesus had, had shut up the, the Sadducees. They kept trying to come at him, and, and he kept turning the tables on them. So the Pharisees, the other group, they, they gathered together. Verse 35, then one of them, a lawyer who is an expert in the law, asked him a question, testing him, and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? It's actually a really good question. Verse 37, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. There is... There is a force uh, in our world that, that I would suggest to you is, is nearly an irresistible force. I, I say nearly irresistible, in some cases irresistible. And, and that force is love. Now that's nothing like monumental. I mean, I, I think probably about every religion of the world would, would agree with us on that. So if you were to take all the, all the religions of the world, gather them in a room, and, and uh, I would say there's this great and irresistible force called love, all the religions of the world would say amen. It really should not surprise us that, that love would be this kind of a powerful, irre, irresistible force because Love, as we read here in these verses quoted by Jesus, sums up. It sums up the moral order that God put in place when he created this world. I mean, he created all that is. He created the physical universe, and then he created this world. And then he filled this world with with all the beauty and the things that we see, and then he created mankind created the human race. 
And so the human race now, people are going to, uh, this is going to be a race that's going to interact with God, and this is, this is a race that's going to interact with, with each other. How's this going to work? How is the human race going to interact with God and God with them? And how are humans going to interact with each other? What's going to be the code of conduct? And from the very beginning, God ordained it would be love. Love sums up, it sums up God's law. Love distinguishes right from wrong, good from evil, moral from immoral, according to this and so many other places. I mean, Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament. So this truth had been embedded, if you will, in the people of God and from, the, from the very beginning. And though they asked the question trying to catch him, it actually is an excellent question. Of, of all God's commands... Of all those things that he said about what's right, what's wrong, what, you know, what to do, what not to do, which is foremost, which is the first, the greatest, the supreme, and Jesus sums it up with the word love. Not that, not that love cancels the other commands, but it's what those other commands are about. Take all the things that God has d- d- demanded of us, required of us, and, and, and you read through the scriptures and, and everything that he wants about how people are to interact with each other and with authorities and, and, and in community and in their, in their, in their civil life, whatever it might be, it all comes down to, to living out principles of love. That's what he's after. This is how the world is supposed to work. The way it's supposed to work is that humans are to love God and they are to love God. Their neighbor, they're to love one another. That's the order. Thus it stands to reason, I think, that that this love of which we're talking about is infused with power to make things the way they ought to be for the good of all mankind. I mentioned um, just a few minutes ago that there's two significant events this weekend. Today, Sanctity of of Human Life, Friday was that that March. Uh, But the other is tomorrow, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, which marks the birthday of the martyred champion of the civil rights movement. On a Sunday morning, uh, November 17th, 1957, King stood in the pulpit at the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama, where he was serving as the pastor at that time. He was not feeling well that morning. In fact, the doctor had checked in with him and had told him that he really ought to stay in bed for the day. But uh, King felt that he, that he had to at least go and preach the message that he had prepared, and he promised that uh, he would follow the doctor's orders and that he would just show up at church to preach the message, and as soon as the message was done, he would head right home, get back to bed. The, the title of the, of the message that he preached that morning was Love Your Enemies. And his text for that message came from Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 45, where we read this, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor, And hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. That was a a text that he had, uh, he recounts, he he had preached that text um, twice before in that church, and 
And it was actually a text, a theme that he made a custom to preach in his church at least once a year. That particular was one that helped his listeners understand his, what, we, what we know to be his philosophy of nonviolence. And if you've studied much of his life, you realize that King was, usually what you hear was, was influenced very much by, by Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi when it came to nonviolence. But, but let's be fair, he was influenced by the scriptures as well. And, um, and this text was one of those. And, and it, this, this message served as instruction for the American community trying to figure out how, how should they respond to the racism that they were forced to deal with on a daily basis. And, and King acknowledged in that, in that message that, that loving one's enemies is not easy. If loving your enemy was easy, everyone would be loving their enemies. It's not easy. But he said, and, what he, and, and, and insisted, it was the only right way to face it. T- to be violent against their oppressors, he said, was just going to create more problems than it solved, and it would further the bitterness. It would continue to further the bitterness in the battle. To give up, he said, was not an option, because that equaled cooperating with evil, rather than standing for what was good and right. So the only way forward was to love. Not quit, not resist through violence, but as he put it, resist through love. And so that didn't mean bypassing the evil and leaving it alone. Rather, it was to direct love at the evil in hopes, he said, quote, that somewhere men of the most recalcitrant bent will be transformed. What King was doing was casting a bigger vision for the power of love. He, he was helping them see that, that, that love was not just a means to begin an individual relationship, but rather it was a force to change the world. And he said, and I quote, It seems to me that this love is the only way. As our eyes look to the future, as we look out across the years and across the generations, let us develop and move right here. We must discover the power of love, the power, the redemptive power of love. And when we discover that, we will be able to make this old world a new world. We will be able to make men better. Love is the only way. In his wedding homily to Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, Bishop Michael Curry picked up this quote from King and invited the royal couple, along with their audience of diplomats, cultural elites, and celebrities, to imagine our world when love is the way. I realize that in a setting like ours, statements like that can sound like mere sentimentality. But can you imagine a world like that where we really did love our neighbor as ourselves? Really. It wasn't just a lofty ideal. This commandment that Jesus really just reiterates 
is the key, really, to solving the world's problems. It's strife, it's oppression, the wants and the needs. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Let me just, real quick, just answer three questions, I think, that came to my mind as I was, again, reading, really, a text that that is very familiar to many. First question just for a moment, is, is who is my neighbor? Who is, who is this unnamed neighbor that you're supposed to love? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Who is that? Who is that? Well, of course, Jesus was asked that directly one time. And he answered the question with the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the takeaway from that parable is that Jesus was saying, well, your neighbor is, is any person that's going to come into your life with, with, in need. Not, not, just, not just, you know, kinfolk, not just the people like you, not just the people that you like. It's going to be, you know, any person that comes into your life who's in need. And as you, as you make your, your way through scriptures and begin to look at the, at the theme of our relationships and, and, and love, you're, you're going to find, I, I believe you're going to find uh, that your neighbor in need may be your parents, it may be your children, it may be your spouse, it may be your friends, it may be the people that you work with, it may be your fellow church members, it may be your literal neighbors that live on either side and across the street and behind you, it may be a stranger that you have a chance encounter with. And it may even be your enemy. Paul puts it this way in in Romans chapter 13, if you want to look at that for just a moment. Romans chapter 13. Uh, Again, he is just picking up again what the Old Testament taught, what Jesus affirmed in this section of Romans where he is talking about implications of, of the power of the gospel. And in Romans 13, verses 8 through 10, he says, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covenant, covet. And if there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. This is one of the outworkings of the, of the powerful and the mighty gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation. One of the outworkings of that is this, is this kind of love. And so, you know, when we're trying to think through who is this unnamed neighbor that you're supposed to love, the fact is there is no one in your life, whether they are part of your everyday life or a passing stranger, there is no one that there is not a moral obligation on your part to love. Remember in elementary school, recess time, going to play kickball. And often the way the game came about is two captains would get picked. I have no idea how captains got picked. But uh, if you were a captain, then, you know, I, and I realize that, that, that this 
It's not the way it's done anymore, but okay. I guess I'm old enough that this is how it used to be done. Um, and so the rest of the class lined up, and the two captains picked their team. You know, so if I happened to be captain, I got to pick who was going to be on my team. That is not how it works here. You don't get to pick who your neighbor is or isn't. There's you, and there's your neighbor. (laughs) And we have an obligation before God to love them, as we're told in the text. It fulfills the law. And when this law of God is operating, things will be as they should be. So you have neighbors all around you. You have neighbors seated right here in this room. And you can think through your workplace and come up with neighbors. You can think of where you go to school. You can think of the street that you live on. You can think of different organizations and activities that you're a part of. You are, we are literally surrounded by neighbors. And we're called to love them. Second question, well, then what does it mean? What does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? What does that mean? Well, there's, you know, if you search out this whole thing of, of love, there's lots of definitions of love. But probably the one that I have found maybe most helpful would, would, would explain it this way, that, that the love we're talking about desires another's good. Love Love desires, cares about, gives attention to another's good. Yeah, it's, it's self-giving and, and sometimes self-sacrificing, but, it, but, but this love flows from wanting and seeking good for my neighbor. So to love my neighbor, then, is, is to seek their good in the same way that I seek my own good. I mean, what does that mean? Well, okay, we, we naturally seek our own good. When, 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 I, when I get hungry, I go looking for food because it's good for me, I think, to not be hungry. And, and I, I make sure that I'm clothed decently and appropriately, and, and, and that's a good thing. And, and it's a good thing to, to be sheltered, to have shelter. And so, and so I, I seek to make sure that there's shelter and, and, and safety and, and, and peace, and, and, I, and I seek security and, and happiness and, and significance. I mean, these are just, these are really part of what it means to be human beings. This just comes, this just comes to us naturally, to, to seek our, our own good. And, and, and inherently, and be careful here, but inherently that's not evil. It's, it's not evil to, to, to satisfy hunger and, 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 to, and to, to see that, that needs and, and all that of life are met. It, it's not inherently evil, if you will, to, to seek this kind, of, this kind of good for yourself. We, we just do that naturally. So to love your neighbor is to seek the same for them. It's to seek the same for them. You, you want food and clothing and shelter and safety and friends and fairness and respect? Same for them. Same for them. Well, you, and some of that list of what we read in Romans, thir- Romans 13, you don't, want someone, you don't want someone flirting with and taking your spouse. 
You don't want someone trying to, to harm you or to ruin your reputation. You don't, you don't want someone stealing from you. You don't want someone disrespecting or, or misrepresenting you or coveting what you have with jealousy. So don't do that to others. You don't do that to others. It, it does come down to what, you know, what, what we, is called the golden rule, which is, again, one of those universal religious tenets. Do to others as you would have them do un, unto you. That, that, that does come from the Bible. I think we, we, we must not underestimate the power of love in, in everyday human relationships. The power of, of actually caring about other people, giving attention to other people, having compassion for other people, being kind to other people, helping them, them in their point of need. The power of that. And, and we ought not to underestimate the power of that as we carry out the mission of, of Christ that we have been given as a church. Can you imagine the impact if we live this? Sometimes it can be, it can be tempting to think that, that, that the, the power of a dynamic church is found in, in the secret of some fantastic program or, or some phenomenal out-of-this-world event or some supercharged leader. But there's power in love. There's power in love. It's interesting, you know, part of ministry in church, everyone's trying to figure out this generational thing. How do we, how do we reach and connect with kids? And, and how, do we, how do we minister to, to teens? And then, you know, we've got Generation Z, and we've got Millennials, and we've got Generation Xers, and then, then there's your older people, and, and, and then, and then there, there's racial issues. How do we figure this out? How can we relate to all this? You know, how are we going to reach them? How are we going to minister to them? Let me just, just take a step back and say, how about we love them? And, and I'm not saying that in just a, a really trite, simplistic kind of way. How about, how about we really, 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 really love children and really, really love the teenagers of this church and really love our young adults, really love those who maybe are just trying to figure some things out and they don't, they don't quite know how it's all coming together and we love them and, and you know, oh, I don't know what I would say to an older person. How about we love them? Maybe before we worry about the psychology of all these, how about we love them? There's power. There's power in that. There's power in that. I know it's a t- tall order, pretty idealistic, when we talk about you know, loving our neighbor in this way. You know, I think, well, if I love my neighbor that way, I'll never have a moment for myself. Pastor, can you, can you like, bring this down? Let's talk about this in, in real life now. Because that's the third question. So how can I love this way? If, you know, if I've got all these neighbors <laughs> all around me, I'm surrounded by these neighbors, and, 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 and I am to be, I'm to be seeking their good, you know, like I naturally go after mine, I, I, I'm to be seeking their good like I do mine. How in the world can I do that? Well, I think that the answer to that is to realize that we've only talked about part two of this commandment. It's actually a two-part commandment. The real power to do part two, I believe, comes from part one. Jesus, verse 37, said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the great commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know, the, the way to love your neighbor as yourself is to love God the way he wants you to love him. 
And, and that is he wants you, he wants me to love him with all that I am. Heart, soul, mind. You see, loving your neighbor as yourself is, is it's far deeper than human compassion. It does involve human compassion. Make, make no mistake about that. But it's deeper than that. You see, the good that we desire for them is more is more than, it includes, but it is more than physical good. It is more than emotional good. So what more is there? Remember we said, what is love? It's love is, is desiring, caring about, seeking the good of another. So, so what is that good? And, and think about this. We, we are called to love God, right? I mean, that's the first commandment. We are called to love God. Well, if love is desiring and seeking another's good, what good could we possibly desire for God? What good could we possibly do for God? Well, I believe that the good we desire for God is that he be honored as God. The good that we desire for God is that he be glorified as God. I believe that the good we, that, that, that the good that we offer to God is that God becomes the object of our soul satisfaction, that God becomes the absolute delight in all of my life. The good that we offer to God is that we love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, which becomes our strength, because this is what we were made for. That's the good that we, that's the good that we bring to God. That's the good we bring to him. You see, when God isn't your soul's satisfaction, when God isn't your soul delight, the tendency will be for your neighbor to become your competitor. Or your neighbor may become your supplier because you're looking for, you're looking for the neighbor to give to you what only God can give to you. When you don't find your ultimate good met in God, you will seek it elsewhere. And that's exactly, exactly where so many are. Think about it for just a minute. What, what, is it, what is it that makes you feel loved? Honestly. What is it that makes you feel loved? loved well feeling accepted for who I am if I feel like you accept me for who I am I'm, I'm going to probably have a feeling that you love me feeling valued if somehow I feel that you value me I am going to feel a sense of love from you not feeling judged if I, if I feel if I don't feel judged by you, I'm gonna I'm gonna feel a sense of, of, of love or that, that, that you love me. So 
you know, and, and I think that's, that's quite common. So, so if I feel like you accept me for who I am, if I, I feel like you value me, if I feel like you don't judge me, then I feel loved by you. And I get that. But there is a root problem to that. And it's this. It makes me the object of my own affections. That's the problem with that. I am the object of love because I'm measuring it by who is caring for my good, that is, who is making me feel good about me. And the whole problem, and here's, here's the downfall of that, the whole problem is that I or me or self becomes the object of love when I'm not that. And neither are you. But that's how our culture sees it. See, the, the, the love we're talking about, the love that Jesus was talking about here, is a love that has a fixed and a certain content to it. The good that God wants for you and the good that God wants for me is himself. God is the good, and he lovingly wants that for others. Therefore, God is the good that we should want for others. And so we reach out to others because God does. We, we forgive others because God does. We, we serve others because God does. And we want others to know about this God. We want others to come into the forgiveness and the soul satisfaction that we have come to experience and receive in Christ. We want that for others. You see, the way to bring the highest good to your neighbor is for you to find your highest good in God. And what that means then is that loving your neighbor is really the overflow of being loved by God and loving him in return. If you're not finding your good in God, I guarantee you that you're looking for it elsewhere. You're looking for it from from someone else. You're looking for it from something else that affirms you. Maybe it's your job. Maybe Maybe it's some desire or sense of notoriety. Maybe it's a significant other. And you're going to struggle loving your neighbor as yourself. You see, the good that you desire for yourself and that you are to desire for your neighbor is either God or it's something else. And if it's something else, it's an idol. Idols can't change the world. Only God can do that. Idols can't bring peace to the nations or to human hearts. Only God can do that. Idols can't satisfy because idols make demands. Only God can satisfy. Idols have no inherent power. They only have power we ascribe to them in our imaginations. But God has real power. His love has real power. Power to do more than you or I can really imagine. Power to to heal this world. Well, really more than that, power, power to save this world. So if you want to experience the power of love this morning, I just remind you, you need to come to God. We sang about that earlier. He loves you. 
we weren't just singing sentimental love tunes there. God loves you. He loves you. The clearest demonstration of the power of God's love is the giving of his son so that we might know the highest possible good there is, which is to know God. I wonder this morning, have you experienced that redemptive power of God's love through Jesus Christ? In church, what what would it be like if if we discovered the power of this redemptive love through Christ for us, for us and for our neighbors? What if we believe that this love will make this old world of ours a new a new world? What if we believe that this love is able to make men better because this love will bring them to God? Imagine our church, imagine this community if this love was our way. It's God's love that has the power to change the world. So let's believe in the power of that love to change our neighbors. And let's pour it out. Let's pour it out on them maybe like we never have before, and see what God will do through that. Help us, Lord, to, to, to bathe in this love that you have for us, Lord. We don't deserve it. We know that. Often, Father, we don't understand it. Our world talks incessantly about love, but doesn't get it. And often we don't either. It, it, seem, it seems too big. It seems... It seems too hard on the one hand for us to do it. It seems too wonderful that there would be this love given to us. And yet, this is what you speak of. This is what you promise. This is who you are. This is what you have done. So, Lord God, may we come under this love. May we believe in the power of this love to make us what you want us to be. May we believe in the power of this love to help us connect with the people around us, Lord, who need you, who need the goodness the soul satisfaction of what we find in you, the joy of what we find in you, the peace of what we find in you. And God, let us, let us drive, let that drive us to them as we meet them where they are, wherever that might be, as we meet them where they are, and love them human to human with the compassion a human has for another human being, but, but ignited and empowered by the almighty love of God. Help us, I pray. This morning, Lord God, if there's anyone who's not come into the redemptive love that you have for them through Christ, may today be the day of their salvation. Teach us, Lord, this love. Change us by it. And use us, Lord, to mark this community with the power of your love. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.